0: Hey, y'all, Sam Sanders here. You ever wish you could, like, make your brain and not think about coronavirus for a little bit? Oh, you do. Well, today, this show is here to help. We're going to share with you now one of my favorite It's Been a Minute episodes maybe ever. We call it our Dragisode. Yes, an episode all about drag. We first brought it to you last summer, and we're going to share it with you again because it's just full of joy, and we need joy right now. Okay, dear listener, this episode is wonderfully COVID-19 free. Enjoy. Tell me about your outfit for folks that can't see it.
1: I am wearing a made-by-me outfit. I saw all of my looks. I style my own hair. and uh, There are
0: few things more engaging than having a drag queen tell you about her outfit.
1: My name is Jaden
0: Dior Fierce. Jaden Dior Fierce talked to me backstage at RuPaul's DragCon in L.A. this May. DragCon is the biggest drag festival in the country. The organizers say more than 60,000 people showed up for this one.
1: Glass rhinestones all over it, honey feathers. Oh, yes, a mermaid-style gown, pink ostrich feathers at the bottom.
0: You may have seen Jaden before. She was on a season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Season seven. Okay. Jaden is one of dozens of queens here at the L.A. Convention Center, getting ready to walk the convention floor. And like most of the other queens, Jaden's look is beyond.
1: Reverse sequins that are holographic okay. and they change color. You see that? Oh, catch it! Oh, oh, yeah. I know oh, it changed, y'all. Oh, it I, I know y'all can't see it, but honey, it's changing colors, honey. <laughs> and then the hair. Talk about that. Yes, honey. The hair is a good old cheap old 1999 uh, on sale, found it, brushed it out, teased it,
0: kind of gig. Jaden talked to me backstage at DragCon, but soon after that, we wandered to the pink carpet. Yeah, it was pink. And when I tell you the energy, the cheers, the pandemonium, when these queens marched out.
2: All hell, the reigning Queen Aquaria. Think main
0: Met Gala district. Red Carpet meets courtside at an NBA finals game, meets the rowdiest high school pep rally you have ever attended. They weren't just queens. On that carpet, they were goddesses. These drag queens were having a moment, and it seems almost everywhere in the culture, drag itself is having a moment as well.
3: Let's do it. I'm going to start my first song now, okay? You ready?
0: From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. This episode, our current golden age of drag. We will examine the history of drag with Frank DeCaro, a man who literally wrote an encyclopedia of drag. In the kabuki tradition in Japan, in minstrel shows they had a drag queen.
3: In vaudeville, in burlesque, there's always been someone cross-dressing
0: for work. We'll talk with the executive producers of RuPaul's Drag Race.
2: Drag has arrived at the big kids table. People are finally acknowledging it as an art form to be reckoned with.
0: And we'll talk with Shandela, one of the brightest stars in the world of drag. She'll tell us what it's really like being a queen and where she thinks drag is headed next.
4: A president that did drag.
0: Call this our drag I think you will love it. Stay with us, queens. We'll be right back.
5: Support for NPR and the following message come from Best Fiends. Have more time on your hands? Connect with family and friends and engage your brain with fun puzzles by downloading Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game with over 100 million downloads. The game is updated monthly, so there are always new levels to play, events to master, and cute characters to collect. And you can play without an internet connection. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. If you're spending more time at home, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour is here to help. From family-friendly favorites to stream to recommendations that will calm your nerves, we've got ideas. What to watch, what to read, what to listen to for both old favorites and new arrivals. Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Listen and share with your friends.
0: There is no way to talk about drag's current moment without talking about its history. To do that, Hello, Frank DeCaro. Hello! How are you? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to I be here I talked with well. drag historian Frank DeCaro. He is the author of Drag, Combing Through the Big Wigs of Show Business. Like you he heard earlier, Frank told me that drag has been part of our history for a long time. I wanted Frank to walk us through how we got here and where it all started. I think
3: drag has roots so far back that, that we almost can't wrap our heads around it. Huh. In ancient Greece, men were playing female roles. In Shakespearean times, it was the same thing. In the kabuki tradition in Japan, that was going on. In minstrel shows, they had a drag queen. Vaudeville, in burlesque, there's always been someone cross-dressing for work. Yeah. The person that seems to be the grandmother of modern drag yes. is this guy named Julian Elton. Yes,
0: in the vaudeville era.
3: In the vaudeville era. He had a Broadway theater named after him. He was in movies, he, early movies. He was on stage in a Broadway triumph.
2: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Well, here I am back in Hollywood making my first talking picture. He had a, had a lifestyle
3: magazine. The the he was the RuPaul. The RuPaul of Drag. RuPaul. Of drag. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, yeah. He was doing all these things. Yeah. And he's the one that the Queens with a sense of history seem to always hark back to.
0: Describe Eltage and his drag and his style for folks who have never heard of this man.
3: Well, he was he dressed appropriately for nineteen twelve, and he <laughs> you is, know which
0: it was he wasn't
3: Courtney Act pretty, but he was pretty. You know, he looked for nineteen twelve, he was pretty foxy. Uh-huh. So he had his thing going. But you know, it was a period thing, and he'd sang himself
1: Johnny, get your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Johnny, and, and he had talent
3: and, and also seem to know how to spin things. Uh, You know, you don't get to have your own Broadway theater and do movies and have your own magazine if you're not really out there
0: hustling. So back then, in that age, in the Vaudeville area, when drag was happening, was it called drag? What did they call it? Oh, there's so many There was female impersonation. Okay.
3: The term I came across that I thought was interesting was femme mimic. So, you would read these they would you'd read the gossip columns of the day, you know, Walter Winchell kind of column, all those things uh-huh. and and it would be fem top femme mimic, and uh-huh. they would you know, name drop, and you know, and and it would be all of these performers that yeah. that they would sort of glom onto. and there yeah. would be these clubs that people would go to. But the thing that was interesting to me is these touring reviews would show up. I found an ad. And it was like held over in Fort Worth in the fifties, and it was like twenty eight really? days of drag, you know. But they didn't in call it Fort that. Worth it was like 50s. female impersonation, fifties yeah. or sixties. Yeah. But it, and it was uh, it was amazing to me that because it, it's like you know you expected in New York and San Francisco, yes. But you're like, Fort War- Worth had 28 yeah. days worth of business
0: yeah. well, for drag? Yeah. This is what I found so interesting in your book. One, you point out it's kind of been here forever, drag. Yeah. And two, you point out for the longest time, it existed in this kind of legal in-between. You know, there were drag shows all the time, but in lots of parts of... Of this country, you could be arrested for wearing clothing of the opposite sex or performing as the opposite sex. So there was this weird kind of dichotomy around drag for a very long time. I think a lot of it was tied in with the the notion of
3: homosexual panic. It was the idea of if you go on Mm -hmm. and you don't make it clear that you are a man in a woman's dress and Mm. a straight guy in the audience is titillated, Mm. you've Entrapped him, or you've, 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 it's a ruse. You've fooled him. You've, you've lied to him.
0: So then we see Julian Eltage in the vaudeville era. Yeah. When is the next moment in American history where drag like has a breakout moment? I'm thinking like the TV era when you see the first drag queens on TV. Well, the the first, it's funny to me because Mr. Television.
4: Now here
3: he is, your man Friday, Milton Burns. Milton Berle. Yeah, he was really responsible for people buying TVs. Apparently, his show was so popular in the '40s. And he
0: was like very safe and accepted by middle America. Oh, everybody and, like, loved wholesome and... him. Wholesome. He would come out. Uh huh. And he would he would be Carmen Miranda. Lady, please don't laugh. Now you know what you look like.
3: Or he would be Cleopatra.
0: I can't hear myself. I got the wig on, but it's... <laughs> He was heterosexual
3: but he said my he said my drag is too gay to be gay. Yeah. He was known for having what they call in drag the meatiest tuck. He was he was a man with a, a python in his pants. And but he which kind of was the point of a lot of drag So that way you're not fools. Yeah. No, no, it what, it was basically a lot of drag in television. Really up until RuPaul's Drag Race pretty much was Take the straightest, hairiest, ugliest guy,
0: and put him in a dress. Put him
3: in a dress, mm-hmm. and a straight guy will fall in love with him. That's the story
0: always, and and, and it works joke, because the audience knows that that's still a dude. Right? No
3: one notices a, an Adam's apple. No one notices man's ha, man hands. Nothing. But he just would show up in a dress, and because he was so sort of, he kind of looked like a rabbit. He had these like little, you know, Bugs Bunny <laughs> kind of teeth. He never stopped. He was on Roseanne at the gay wedding episode in drag. He wow. he showed up everywhere in a in dress. Drag. Okay. And he was a straight guy and kind of ugly and <laughs>
0: still hilarious. <laughs> so then we see him really do this big and then I think the next TV drag queen of note might be whatever Flip Wilson was doing. Oh, my God. Tell Flip folks Wilson who Flip was Wilson was is best. if they don't know. I know Flip Wilson yeah. because I would watch him as a kid. My mother loved him. Oh, yeah, he's the best. I watch him all the time you on and, Nick at Night.
3: Oh. See, on Nick at Night, I watched it when it was new. I was like five, <laughs> you know, and I watched it when it was yeah. first on. Gotcha. Flip had the first variety show fronted by an African-American man. Okay. okay. Now, Flip had a drag character named Geraldine Jones. The name is Miss Jones. Geraldine <laughs> Jones. And the problem for Flip was she was such a hit that she kind of eclipsed him. She definitely did. She had more magazine covers. covers. Oh, she had so many. She'd say, What you see is what you get.
2: What you see is what you get. (laughs) And she'd
3: say, The devil made made me buy buy this dress. Ted, I
2: didn't want to buy no dress. (laughs) That was her
3: other one. Um, And Flip used this. They called it a sassafras falsetto. One of the magazines in the time called it. Uh,
1: Woo! Woo! I've never seen a fur like that.
3: She was sassy, smart, had a boyfriend named Killer.
1: If it
2: wasn't for Killer, you could be the top banana in my bunch.
3: Uh, She could do something no other drag performer on TV had done before. She could walk in her shoes
0: and look fabulous. So we have walked through drag history and how it's been a part of our lives for forever but I want to talk about this moment where it seems as if from what you write in the book where drag kind of went alternative and that kind of alt vibe actually influenced RuPaul's Drag Race this is like the 80s New York drag scene the entire ethos of RuPaul's Drag Race to me really
3: started with Wigstock in New York City and that was the early 80s, 84, 85, something like that. They, Lady Bunny. I live the life I love, and I love the life that I live. And Hattie Hathaway and other performers, including RuPaul, had this outdoor festival of... Of hairpiece and love. It was what they talked about. Hairpieces and love. Hairpieces and love. (laughs) And it became this thing, and it was in Tompkins Square Park. And and I started going to it about the third or fourth one. Okay. What was it like? Oh my God, it was the greatest thing ever. It was the (laughs) most, it was Halloween on Labor Day, and it was also gay pride for people who are more creative. It was, it really was (laughs) amazing. And it got to the point where you would see cops. Who'd put a wig on for a photo. You know, you'd Into see like it. a beat cop who Into was digging it. it. An old Polish lady would put on a wig. Everybody was doing yeah. it. And Joey Arias, who performed there a lot, w- w- says that this is really what kind of what the revolution was. It was that 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 was changing things, was that you were having drag queens in the sun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was an amazing thing. But it was that kind of drag that, that... It had an edge. It had an edge, but it also, uh, it, it kind of made fun of drag and loved it at the mm, same time. Explain it, In the sense that if traditional drag was uh, a guy doing a Barbra Streisand impression, mm-hmm. then this would be 500 men dressed as Barbra Streisand, that kind of thing, you know, or whatever, you know, would be a party where everyone was yes.
0: dressed. And so from this more vulgar, edgier, New York 80s Wigstock drag... Uh, we see, I guess, RuPaul emerge in that community. Oh, she was huge. Yeah. Okay.
3: If you got a hello from RuPaul, hey, baby, <laughs> in, in 1988, you were like, I don't, you know, from the moment you met RuPaul, you were like, you're a superstar. There, there, there was no stopping RuPaul. There is yeah. no question in my mind how she became America's drag queen. Yeah. What's exciting to me and the truly revolutionary thing about yeah. RuPaul's drag race yeah. is. The drag tradition was always you—you you were always a man in a dress. Mm-hmm. You had no sexuality, what to speak of. If you did, you defended your heterosexuality mm-hmm. staunchly. You'd mm-hmm. have uh, Julian Eltinge had fistfights in alleys because people would doubt his masculinity. Wow. Yeah. So, anyway, so you had all that, and now you've got these drag performers on television who have full lives. And backstories and, you and see families them
0: not in drag. You see them getting dressed. You see them backstage. It's a 360 view of the drag queen that I've never seen on TV right. before. Right,
3: and, and you see these videos where their mother calls and say, uh, skypes in and says, "I love you, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm getting goosebumps just saying." Yeah. And I cry, and they cry, and everybody yeah. watching it cries. Yeah. Because it's it's, it's a, a 360 story of view. struggle. Yes. And overcoming it, and it really it's there's there's no purer way of of UBU than drag
0: exactly thanks again to Frank DeCaro he is the author of drag combing through the big wigs of show business alright that was the past now I want to talk about the present and you cannot do that without talking more about RuPaul's Drag Race show me what you got
3: are you a winner you can't love yourself how in the hell you gonna love somebody else
2: um, my name is Randy Barbado and I'm co-founder of World of Wonder Productions.
6: Uh, I'm Fenton Bailey and uh, also co-founder of World of Wonder.
0: Randy and Fenton founded their production company, World of Wonder, in 1991. It produces reality TV and documentaries and feature films. And of course, RuPaul's Drag Race. The two of them go way back with Rue. They have been friends for decades, from the time RuPaul really began in the drag scene in New York, those Wigstock days.
2: RuPaul's Drag Race was an idea that was, it took a few minutes to get it on the air because initially Rue said, I'll do anything but a reality show. And so we all got together and came up with some ideas. And we came up with a specific idea and pitched it to him. And he was like, you know what? I think we should do a reality show.
0: What I like about Drag Race is that it totally accepts the conceit of what all other reality TV is, which is performance. I think when you have a show built around drag queens whose job is to perform to the most absurd extent... It just leans into what all reality TV is actually about. Like, those housewives, they're also performing; They just don't say it. And this just says, oh, yeah, it's a performance.
2: And that's the irony of it, too, because, because in its performative nature, it's completely authentic. Yes. It's yes. it's totally real so that, so that you can have a kind of cerebral connection to it and an emotional connection. Yeah. And you can feel good about watching it because everyone's kind of in on it. Mm-hmm. Was there...
0: When you started the show, a mission or an intent, besides just making a good show, was there an, an idea to educate a certain group about a certain thing? Was there a higher purpose? Or were you just trying to make a damn good TV show?
6: Well, I think um, the thing about drag is that it it does have a higher purpose built baked in from Which the is, beginning. Uh, to be a drag queen is to fly your freak flag, to live your life out loud, to not let other people dictate normal or to not edit yourself so that you fit in with other people. So it's it's very much, I think, being a drag queen is a, a big, bold, brave statement of individuality. So mm. I think inevitably, the show was going to be that from, from the beginning, a celebration of that.
0: Do you worry about The over-mainstreaming.
6: Yeah, yeah. I don't know that that's possible in a sense because I do think the license of drag is to not take anything seriously and to make fun of everything. Mm. And given that, it's never really going to become – and maybe history will prove me wrong, but I think it's never really going to become commodified. I don't Mm. think it can be completely – Disney-fied if you will, <laughs> and because ultimately there are no, nothing is sacred to drag and hmm. a drag queen, hmm. and so there's always an element of uh, walking a tightrope or or edge of subversion to everything. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I think drag is also a celebration of all this. I think drag queens love everything, but at the same time, everything is kind of funny and ridiculous, and that's the drag queens license to turn things upside down on their heads and make fun of them.
2: But I think, by the way, not to contradict. But if if oh it, if, y'all are so nice
6: to <laughs> each <laughs> other, but if, n- it's not normally like this. <laughs> no, but <laughs> if,
2: if but if drag were to be totally become totally co- commodified and disnified, that's the world I want to live in. Really? Right. That's, that's I right. want to live in a drag world. Yeah. Like, imagine like Epcot, like,
0: but all drag.
2: Uh, yeah, well, well, we're imagine, working on it. <laughs> but like truly, imagine if every day was like like DragCon. That would be amazing. That would be kind of sweet.
0: I would get so much grief if I were in a room with the two EPs of Drag Race and didn't ask some (laughs) of the critical questions that you hear from fans all the time. (laughs) Uh, And in thinking back to the controversy in the show about whether or not trans women would be allowed on, how did you grapple with that? And is there a reality on the show in which they are a big part of the show in its future?
2: Well we've
6: had we've had trans people on yeah. the show. So in a way it's kind of a non-issue and, and really essentially anyone can apply for the show and we're looking for charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. And yeah. that's, that's it. <laughs> anyone who's got charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. You yeah.
2: Know? yeah, I mean that is the number one priority. And I think that, that that was uh that was an unfortunate sort of conversation that I don't think was fully reflected the reality of the show because there have been many trans people on the show, but we're one big family. Mm-hmm. We're all allies. And and so that's what I know and that's what I believe in my heart. And that's, you know, we make the show, we're making the show to continue to move the conversation forward to progress our culture. And that's our number one um, objective. And so so when when we get dragged into conversations that don't really uh accurately depict what's driving uh, this show and mm-hmm. why we make it and what it is, mm-hmm. that's fine for people to have those conversations, but we're going to keep doing our job and making the best show out there.:
6: Yeah. What show's drag names <laughs> Randy was. We uh, we we haven't dressed up in drag a lot, uh-huh. but we went to Wigstock a couple of times, last century, <laughs> and uh, Randy was the Jersey Shore. Love it. <laughs> yes, and I was.
2: And Fenton, you were a candy bar. I thought it was cherry red. Oh, cherry red. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. cherry I love it. red.
6: I've thought about this a lot. If I
0: ever do drag, <laughs> my drag name would be Natural Pubic Radio. <laughs> I love that. Like, you know, what okay. will she look like? Well, I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the name but not the look Time will tell Thanks to Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey They're the executive producers of RuPaul's Drag Race Alright, time for a break When we come back we'll talk with one of that show's biggest stars and one of the biggest drag queens working right now Shangela BRB
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. What about checking something as important as your credit score? Discover makes it quick, easy, and free with their credit scorecard, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score, the score used by 90% of top lenders, and other important credit information. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. COVID-19 has upended our lives, shaken us from all sense of security. When it comes to pandemics, we just are in this cycle of panic and complacency. We'll see if this one puts an end to that. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. How can we protect ourselves against future global outbreaks? That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Subscribe or listen now.
0: You know DJ Pierce as Shangela, one of the most well-known drag queens in the world. Shangela was in A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. She's performed Beyonce songs for Beyonce. And she's appeared on RuPaul's Drag Race in three different seasons. But when DJ created Shangela and began doing drag, it was kind of a last-minute decision.
4: I choreographed a number for these three guys that were doing Beyonce single ladies. Okay. And then one of the guys backed out. And the other two were like, no, we don't have a Beyonce. And I'm like, (laughs) well... Okay, I'll be the Beyonce.
0: (laughs) Doing drag for the first time is hard enough. But on top of that, DJ says a very special person was set to be in the audience. My mom was visiting. He gave his mom a choice.
4: You can either stay at the house or if you want. She's like, no, I want to go. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be doing the drag. And she's like, okay. So DJ got
0: ready. A friend did his makeup. He got all dressed, big wig, all of it. And before the show, he went to pick up his mom as Shangela, the drag queen.
4: So I picked up Mama, and I remember she got in the car, and she didn't, like, you know, if you're a drag queen, the first thing people see, you want them to be like, oh, my God, you, you look, look amazing. amazing. Word, yeah, you know. Yeah, That's what my friends would have done. Uh-huh. Well, Mama got in the car, and uh-huh. she just, like, she was like, hey.
0: DJ, Shangela, was worried. It was getting
4: awkward. And I could feel her like looking at me from the side. And I was like, it's a high strung gay boy. Mom, just tell me what it is. What is the problem? Like, what is it? And she's like, No, there's no problem. I just I I and she I was like, spit it out, mom. She uh, goes, You look just like this girl I went to school with named Beverly. <laughs> I was like So it worked. Okay, you yeah. It up. exactly. Well, I don't know Beverly. I don't know what Beverly looked like, so I don't know yet. DJ says drag has helped him, even when he's not in costume. Becoming a drag entertainer. Mm -hmm. And really embracing that helped me to embrace who I was as a gay person Mm. even more. Explain. Because it's kind of like another coming out almost. Mm. Mm. And to walk into a room, there I am, my little red skirt, my (laughs) wig, my red (laughs) lips. You learn how to let go of those feelings of I need to please others Mm. or people are going to be looking at me. Mm. I feel uncomfortable. And you just get this heightened sense of confidence.
0: But I had to ask about the downsides of being a drag queen right now. There have been a few in the community that say, is all this mainstreaming too much? Uh, There was an article in Vulture recently.
4: Oh, Lord, not the Vulture, man. Yes, ma'am, I got it right here. It's got you on the front.
0: (laughs) It's got a picture of you holding a Met Cafe coffee cup from McDonald's, and the headline says, Drag Race Inc, what's lost when a subculture goes pop? And the article paints this picture basically saying drag race has made drag too mainstream. And now we see drag queens like yourself becoming too much a part of the culture. And we've it's lost the edge. Do you agree with that point at all? Do you ever feel that way?
4: I do not. Okay, tell me why. Not at all, and I'll tell you why. Who says that I'm not able to go out there and sell a sausage McMuffin (laughs) from McDonald's just as well as any other actor or person? Mm -hmm. I think that having drag in the mainstream may make some people uncomfortable Mm. because it forces them to realize that either they're just as fascinated Mm -hmm. by something that they may have turned off in their head or just said, no, never, not me. I would never look at a drag queen. It makes them uncomfortable at times. I never told my family that I was going to be on drag. Next thing you know, I'm on Drag Race and they saw me on TV. So my oh, grandma wow. is going, I'm getting calls from the neighbors, going like my grandson's transition to a woman. She didn't understand the difference in transgender yeah. and, and my type of drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and it forced us to have that conversation that I would not have had previously. Yeah. And I think that's what happens when drag starts to go mainstream. All of a sudden, you're watching The View and there are three drag queens on there. Mm-hmm. And it's not a joke. Yeah, Yes, we're here. We're queer. And you better deal with it because yeah. we ain't going nowhere.
0: You know, when I was reading this article by this guy in Vulture, I think part of his critique was of the beautification of drag. Mm-hmm. But also part of his critique of it was I don't think he likes to see and there's a, a subset of the drag community that doesn't want to see drag be commodified. Drag become part of mainstream business. Drag become part of these big corporations and that's another conversation like is there i get it get your check you know but like is there any danger in large corporate interests you know co-opting some of the beauty and strangeness of drag
4: well you have to ask yourself what is the motivation okay I work with a lot of different corporate brands when they're uh, promoting LGBTQ rights and equality. Mm -hmm. Visibility matters. Yeah. So when other corporate entities get behind it mm-hmm. and say, okay, we're, we're on board with that. And we also would love for this drag queen to spearhead our kind of, you know, moment with yeah. this. I think that's okay. When you feel, and, and we've all had this moment, I think as uh, queens that are out there working and doing this, that you feel like sometimes a group just goes, uh, how do we make this gay? Oh, I know, put a drag queen on it. Yeah, Get a rainbow, stamp that on there. That'll show that we're... So you have to look at the authenticity of it. Have mm-hmm. they had a relationship before with the LGBTQ community? Mm-hmm. If it's their first time... What more are they doing other than just appearing in the parade, Mm -hmm. you know? Is there,
0: for those queens who say, well, you know, the only queens that actually win Drag Race are the pretty ones, the mainstream ones, whatever ones. Is there like a need for like a counterculture, off the beaten path, darker, edgier Drag Race? We got it.
4: I mean, there has been. There is. There are other options in other shows. There's RuPaul's Drag Race. There's Drag Race is being syndicated in lots of different places. It's about to be in the UK. There is a, a RuPaul's Drag Race Thailand, uh, which is amazing. You can watch. They're up to their third season now, I believe. Uh, in addition to that, there was a show that is edgier and, and by the Boulet Brothers uh, put on here in LA, and it's called um, Dragula. I believe that's right. It's Dragula. So it's it's, still edgy out there. Yes, it is edgy out there. And the thing about it is Hollywood or, you know, the powers that be Mm -hmm. are more open to it because of because of their experience and their knowledge more of what drag is and, and of the drag world and knowing that drag can sell. I've been a part of, you know, films like Hurricane Bianca 1 and 2 on Netflix. Uh, te- a Star is Born movie, yeah. which I thought was awesome because it showcased drag not as a punchline, but as a slice of life. Yeah. Bradley Cooper just rolls into a drag bar randomly. Yeah. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, I got to figure out who's a man and who's a woman. He, he just, like, enjoys just experiences it. the show and through that ends up meeting Lady Gaga. Yeah. So I think that's the important thing that we, you know, hold on to. Yeah.
0: Where do you see drag? 10, 15 years from now, how big is it? How has it changed? What are we looking at? What are we seeing?
4: A president that did drag, whether (laughs) used to do drag, currently does drag. You know, I think that would be awesome. awesome. We have people. uh, There's a drag queen here in L.A. Her name is Maybe. Her drag name is Maybe a Girl. Maybe. Her name Maybe. (laughs) So uh, she just won as a local city council representative uh, here. And she ran in drag. Wow. And won. Okay. In addition to that, there's a drag queen in New York, a friend of mine named Marty Gold Cummings. Mm -hmm. And she's announced that at some point she's going to run as well, but she's been very active. She actually holds an office right now in her local community. Okay. And she ran in drag. I love it. So I think that when we get to a place where the majority of our country could even vote for someone who had either embraced drag Mm -hmm. younger on their life, you know, that to me would be amazing.
0: Thing we have yet to talk about in this episode, this episode all about drag, is women who do drag. Drag kings. Though drag itself is having a moment, I bet you like me are seeing a lot more drag queens in the culture than kings. So I called an up-and-coming king in LA to get their perspective on this big drag moment. Her name is Maya Durham, but when she's performing,
7: my name is Malcolm Ecstasy. I am the king of House of Melanin.
0: Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Maya to break down one of those songs and performances.
7: Uh, one of my favorites is Ants in My Pants by James Brown. <laughs> I, if I could only do one song for the rest of my career, like I would easily choose that one.
0: The act has Malcolm elaborately disrobing to James Brown's voice.
7: You know how each uh, each chorus it ends with him doing kind of his iconic James Brown wail? Yeah. I start off in these baggy-ish, shiny, patent leather pants, mm-hmm. and at the first yell, good God. I, said, I, said good I tear those off into these red shorts, ah! and then I tear those off into these gold kind of hot pants. Yeah. And then by the third yell, and then I tear those <laughs> off into this metallic G string or oh this like gosh. thong.
0: Sounds amazing, right? Well, Maya says being a drag king is amazing, but she also says the culture at large still has to wrap its head around what it is exactly drag queens do. Maya thinks we are all comfortable seeing people perform femininity, but not so much when watching people perform masculinity. The idea of a woman performing manhood or masculinity, it screws with that idea of male as a default. It's
7: like it's not funny to be (laughs) a man. Like it's not. There's no trope of. Oh, a woman dressing as a man for comedy. Yeah. You know, if you put any male comedian in like a dress it's and like a wig, it's funny. hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious because like being a woman is so funny. Ha ha, it's funny. Right? They
0: wear heels and they could fall <laughs> exactly. over at any moment.
7: Yeah. So, yeah, it is sort of this like misogynist idea that like people are like A, people are only interested in seeing male performers huh. and B, people are only interested in. Femininity as a performance. Huh. When, you know, neither of those things are completely true, but yeah. that's what I think yeah. this sort of disconnect of drag kings comes from. Yeah.
0: Well, even also thinking of the biggest, like just women performers, mm. they also are famous for performing an excessive version of womanhood. Absolutely. I think of Beyonce. I think mm-hmm. of Lady Gaga. All
7: drag queens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are giving you this excessive performance of what it means to be a woman. Right. And you're just saying that. There is not a cultural desire for that on the other side. Mm-hmm. If there were a man, a cis man, in the world performing what we could say was drag kingness, an excessive performance of masculinity, who would it be?
7: Yeah, um, Dwayne I've... the Rock Johnson. <laughs> oh my god, I love Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Um. Like honestly, that is an example because he's you know he's larger than life. He has this huge personality. Yeah. Um. I also think of. Uh, I think about Bruno Mars. Like that's someone who huh. a lot of like a lot of baby kings will perform. Really. Something about Bruno Mars's energy is something that people can like latch onto. Oh, I like um, that. In a way that I I think is I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: What aspects uh, of masculinity? Is Malcolm Mm -hmm. most trying to turn on its head or
7: examine or highlight? I think I highlight the ways that men treat women as kind of as trophies Mm. Uh, because Malcolm is definitely uh, a playboy. And I mean, if you look. As it's a lot of, like, posing with women, like, flanked mm-hmm. on me and, yeah. and and things of that nature and sort of, I, I guess, using women to sort of make up for, I don't know what, but make up for kind of a sense of self. Hmm. um, Almost sort of homoerotic vanity kind of yeah. thing. A lot of men are obsessed with themselves and yeah. have this interesting type of ego mm-hmm. that I like to play on. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think or what do you feel... Mm-hmm. When you see queens like Shangela in A Star is Born and then walking the red carpet at the Oscars, or when you see RuPaul getting his own talk show, Mm -hmm. when you see the queens, like so many of their careers are just shooting to the stars, Mm -hmm. how do you feel seeing their success when there is not a drag king yet on that level? Like, is this drag moment in some ways bittersweet for you? Mm -hmm. Or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that?
7: Well, when when I see queens succeeding, I I think work. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't I don't think uh, my frustration with people's lack of awareness about kings has to mean that I'm bitter about the success of of queens. And yeah. I have seen a lot of that. A lot yeah. of people, you know, will post on a queen announcement like, "Oh, but." This and this king could have done that too, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And it's like, okay, but Shangela did it. Like, (laughs) she was great. So, yeah. Yeah. What's the deal? Yeah. But I don't want to see queens knocked down from the level that they're at. I want to see kings Mm -hmm. rise up to that same level.
0: Once again, so much appreciation to all the voices you heard there. Jaden Dior Fierce, Frank DeCaro, Randy Barbado, and Fenton Bailey. DJ Pierce, also known as Shangela, and Maya Durham, known as Malcolm Ecstasy. We are back this Friday with our regular weekly wrap of the news. All right, queens and kings, until then, keep shining. Talk soon.